Your contact, while interesting in the contact of science fiction, was, at least in my memory, recounting a poorly veiled synopsis of an episode of Rocky and Bullwinkle. Ron and Anian, those looking to reduce the burden of personal vehicle ownership. That is the first time I have ever seen those words. You know, I gotta say this, and this is right up there with the black helicopter conspiracy, but is the government looking to take away cars from us? Similar things are said about the men in black, that they purposely dress and behave strangely so that if anyone tries to describe an encounter with them, they come off sounding like a lunatic. The car doctor. Is this gonna become a world of Logan's Run? Is this gonna become a world of self-driving cars and, and now they can limit where those cars go and they can track where we're going? I don't like this. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now... Do you ever entertain the idea of trying to find life on this planet? I've seen the life on this planet, Scully, and that is exactly why I'm looking elsewhere. Here's Ronnie. Beam me up, baby. Start your engines. Ron and Aining, the car doctor here at 855-560-9900. Here to take your calls and answer your questions. More information at cardoctorshow.com. I, sometimes I think that's why they are looking for intelligent life or life elsewhere because it's not so intelligent down here. Um, this radio show is about fixing your car, everything car-related, I really should say. Uh, we've been doing this a little while. In 1991, fixing cars since 78, getting older by the minute and more crotchety to go with it. But um, that's okay. We're here to fix your car and solve your problem. And just, you know, in general, have a chat. So if you're so inclined, give us a call, 855-560-9900. That number is 24-7. You can call anytime, day or night. We are live on the radio network beginning Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time. We're Eastern boys. And you can uh, call 855-560-9900. Call, leave a message. Chief Cook, Bottle Washer, and Floor Scrubber Supreme Thomas Ray III will call you back and get you in queue for the next live broadcast if we're not live at that particular moment. So if you're a podcaster, and we thank the podcasters, the numbers just keep climbing. Um, you're either going to podcast us through uh, our website and get over to Spreaker, or you're going to use a double pod app, for example, in your phone. Either subscribe or follow, depending upon what the button says. If you click follow at Spreaker, it drives the numbers and uh, drives us and helps the uh, helps the clientele. They're uh, happier with us, and we get to stick around for another week. Uh, I'm still waiting for somebody to tell me I'm fired, but that hasn't happened yet. I want to talk about self-driving cars. I got a couple of things. I got I got I got a little post-it note in front of me. I'm getting more organized. I'm going to try and do this show better. Uh, you know, I have to. It's um, it's 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 sort of a a solemn a solemn obligation. I want to talk about self-driving cars, autonomous cars. I've got a couple of questions on my mind, and, and some of it were from listeners such as yourselves that, you know, we talked during the week, email and, and so forth. So let's say you're in a self-driving car, and you're on your way to, you're on your way to get your nails done, and you're on your way to the barber for a haircut, okay? Your kid calls, mom, dad, whoever, can you pick me up from school? I missed the bus. What happens? I, I, I'd like to see the answer to that. Will you as the op, as the, as the, what would you be? You're not the driver, you're the passenger. Will you as the passenger of the self-driving car have the ability to go, hey, Alexa, take me to, oh, I shouldn't have said Alexa, I got an Alexa here in the studio, wait, she's going to talk. Um, will you have the ability to take me to, uh, you know, the kid's school and give out the address? What if you're in, what if you're in the self-driving car and you feel sick? 
Do you have the ability to say, take me to the hospital, take me home, I don't want to go where I want to go? Do you have the ability to turn the car around? What if, you know, you, because it's, it's you know, think of it like this, you're in the self-driving car, you're on your way to work, or you're on your way to, to get the haircut, and your kid calls, come pick me up. And, you know, now I've got the car from 3 to 3.30, but i got to get it back by 10 to 4 because then Tony needs it. All right? Now what am I going to do? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to screw up Tony's schedule, and then, then, you know, where does Tony, what happens to him? Are they going to have enough self-driving cars that it's not going to matter? And I, I can't figure that part out. The other thing I want to know is, and I'm just throwing this out there for conversation. We are, we are trying to get a hold of Clark Howard and talk to him in the next couple of weeks, and we're looking forward to that. And, you know, we just want to have a casual chat. I want to understand self-driving cars, what they're trying to do better than I presently do. I'm just trying to learn. What's going to happen from a cost perspective? We had a customer recently. Her car was tied up in the shop all week. We had to get parts, and it was a long, drawn-out affair. And she needed the car to go to work, so she Ubered. It was $15 each way to Uber, 30 bucks a day times five days. That's 150 times 52 weeks, 50 weeks. Do the math. And that's just going to and from work. That's not stopping for coffee, picking up the kids from school, going to the doctor's office, shopping, etc. Isn't it going to be a whole lot more expensive to have self-driving cars from a consumer's perspective? How are you, how are you going to afford that? I mean, I guess it's going to happen. I guess we have the choices and the options now to raise it to see how is it going to happen. Because technology is just taking off. But technology isn't perfect. Here, I'll, I'll tell you this story. I had a 2006 Toyota Tacoma in the shop this week. It came to us from another shop in town. They, they needed a, uh, the powertrain computer, the powertrain control module, the PCM or the ECM replaced. They got me a PCM. They brought the car over. I was going to flash it. No, Tony, not you and your raincoat Saturday night. Computer flashing is where we install software into the computer vis-a-vis uh, -vis -vis various devices and connectors. So I set up and, you know, I, I dialed into Toyota TIS and, you know, did the whole subscription download thing. And I've done more than a few Toyotas and installed the software and we're done. Hey, great. Okay, no problem. Car started installed. Uh, maybe I turned the queue off by accident. That can't be right. Car started installed. Car started installed. There's a couple of things in an there's a couple of things in life you don't do. You don't get involved in a war in Southeast Asia. You don't get involved doing computer flashing three o'clock on a Friday afternoon, and you. Just try to embrace technology for what it is, but not expect it to be correct each and every time. Turns out it had a it was setting a Beers and Boy 2799 PCM fault. It wasn't communicating with the rest of the vehicle because it had new software. I had to do a PCM registration initialization. Whew, that's a mouthful. Now, I've done more than a few Toyotas, as I said. Haven't had to do this procedure before. What they want you to do is they want you to ground pin 14 at the assembly line data link, the OBD2 port, as we call it sometimes, and ground it with the key on for 30 minutes so that the computers can all do a handshake and start to talk to each other on the network and say, yep, this is me, and this is me, and this is you. And you've got to ask yourself, like, why? You're telling me in, in, in 2006 that was the best technology you can come up with? 
And from what I understand, it, it works all the way up through its Tacomas. It works all the way up through 2011, 2012. I couldn't find any research above and beyond that. And you look at that technology and you say, huh, I mean, this truck wasn't going anywhere. It would start and stall until you did a PCM registration initialization. Whew, that's a mouthful. I've got to wonder about self-driving cars. I really do. I've got to look at this very carefully, and you've got to, you know, it's, it's going to be flawed. Something else I thought about, how will the car know it's broken <laughs> other than it'll stop? But, you know, you drive the car. Think about it. You drive your car. Who doesn't know when their car isn't right? What do you do? You get a sense of sound. Gee, the brakes are noisy. It's making a noise from the engine. Okay, there won't be an engine. Maybe, maybe. You know, the car's pulling to the left. There's, it seems like they're going to have to give that car the smarts of a person so that they can sit there and go, hey, the car pulls to the left, the car pulls to the right, it's got a bad wheel bearing, the brakes don't feel right. How are we going to do this? And yet they're going to shove it down our throats. I, I, I want to know, how's the car going to know it's broken? Somebody's gonna, so I'm making a list. Do this. If you've got a question for Clark Howard, and he's a very smart guy, all right? He's a, he's a consumer affairs expert, right, Tom? And he's been on, the, he's been on radio for many, many years. And we, 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 we think of him as, you know, if he's saying it, we got to believe it, but we want to get answers to some of our questions. If you've got a question for me to ask Clark Howard, ron at cardoctorshow.com. Send me an email, ron at cardoctorshow.com. And when we do the interview, we're going to ask him. All right, we're trying to get a hold of him for the next couple of weeks. He's on vacation. I want to, wait a minute, how come he got a vacation and I didn't? I want a vacation. Because he was nice to us and you aren't. <laughs> you asked. <laughs> you know... It's, I really asked for it, didn't I, folks? I'm sorry. No. No, he's, he's on vacation. I've been talking to his uh, personal assistant, okay. uh, who's very nice, and his uh, producer people. And he will, uh, when he get when he gets back, they will arrange a time, and uh, we'll do the uh, we'll do the interview. Just with him. remember, he may have producer people. He doesn't have a Tony. That's I, right. I have a Tony. All That's right? right. Some people. Everybody say, needs a Tony. Everybody. Some people can say they've won an Oscar. I've got a Tony. You've won the Tony. I I've like won, it. I've won the Tony, all right? So it's, uh, look at that smile. boy. That's my Tony. So anyway, Ron and Andy, the car doctor, 855-560-9900. We're coming back to open the phone lines right after this. Don't go away. When the family car needs some fixing, there's only two things that really matter, getting the right part and getting some good advice. It's a pretty safe bet that with over a million parts in stock, Pep Boys has the right part right now. The Pep Boys pros are extensively trained to find the right part for just about any car or truck. Better yet, these pros can also handle the entire installation or service needed. It's always good to have options and know the Pep Boys pros have it covered either way. Whether it's a little red Corvette or a Yugo, you've come to the right place to get that car fixed. Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor, 855-560-9900. Now, back to Ron. Remind me a little later this hour, Tony. Tony, wake up. Okay. Remind me a little later this hour that I want to talk. I've got a really great snap-on socket story I want to tell everybody about fixing a car in the shop and, you know, this is a positive side of technology and how something as simple and mechanical as changing the way a socket is designed 
helped me fix a car in record time and, and, and actually prevented a small problem from becoming a bigger one. I want to do that a little later on this hour. Right now, let's get over and talk to John in Wisconsin, 76 Oldsmobile. Hey, John. Yes, I have a, I have a 1976 uh, 455CID four-barrel Oldsmobile. Okay. It's about 75,000 miles on it. Well, what's going on is, is uh, long as the temperature is like under 70, 75, the car starts and it runs. Now, when I get above 75, 80 degrees, 85, initially, when I first started out in the mornings, I will, it'll go. And say I go to the Walmart or whatever store it is, and I park, I go in and do my story. I, five, ten minutes go by. Now I come out, I'm going to start it. When I go to start it, it'll start, but then it quits. And I'll try it again. It'll do that about four or five times. Finally, it'll kick over, and it, it'll run, and then, uh, then I can run it. Well, two times now what has happened, uh, I, I've started to continue on down the road, and it, and it just quits. So now I gotta do this, go through the same procedure, get it started, and finally I, I finally get it back to my garage and everything. I'm trying to figure out what can I do to get this fixed. I'm, I I talked to some people and they all look at me and stare at me. So, all right. Uh, if this was a computer car, we'd have a conversation of about you know 14 different things you'd have to check. There's 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 two things I care about here. When it doesn't start, does it have fuel? Does it have you know fuel, fuel pressure, fuel volume, fuel in the carb? Does it have spark? First two things. When, when it doesn't start or when it goes into the start-stall condition, have you, you know, taken the air cleaner lid off, you know, open the hood, take the air cleaner lid off, take a flashlight, look down the throat of the carb, you know, crack the throttle once or twice, do you get a good solid spray of fuel out of the, out of the accelerator pump nozzles? Uh, no, sir. I really haven't tried that. I, right. Uh, <laughs> Let me, let's, yeah, go, let's, I, go, let's go to basics, John. Um, okay. Do you, do you mow the lawn? Do you have a lawnmower? Uh, yes, I do. All right. What do you do for a living? Well, I, I'm, I'm kind of retired now, but I used to put in telephone equipment. Okay. So you're, 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 you're smart enough, you're technical enough, you get procedure and diagnostic routine. If your lawnmower stopped working, what, what, what would you do to, to, to check it out? Well, the first thing you look at is uh, is is the uh, you got your fuel in there. Right, quality of fuel, enough have... fuel. Is the fuel getting to the carb? Guess what? Your automobile engine's a big lawnmower. Same thing. All right. Okay. So we want to think about fuel. We want to check for fuel delivery. Do we have fuel in the bowl? Do we have fuel coming out the accelerator pump, etc.? Fuel's easy to cover. Here's the hard one. This has HEI ignition, doesn't it? Do you know what HEI ignition yes, it is? Does. Yeah. Yes, it does. Yeah, 76, 74 was first year HEI, if I remember right. I graduated high school. My God, that was such a long time ago. You've got a good memory. Yeah, because um, I remember being stuck on the side of the road a lot of times. I mean, you know, dude, those were the days. So HEI ignition had three weak links, all right? There's a pink wire with a white connector that comes over into the cap. That's the hot from the ignition switch. You got a voltmeter? Uh, yes, I do. Okay. That pink wire will be power key on engine off or key on engine running. That's the hot feed to the coil. That's the positive side of the coil. If you want to okay. set up a te- if you want to set up a test port and when the car goes into its dance of no start start etc, flick your voltmeter on. If you got 12 volts or 14 volts if it's running or trying to run, what kind of voltage do you have on that wire? All right? 
Unless somebody okay. changed the color of the harness or did something to the harness over the years, that should be a pink wire with a white connector. If you look on the HEI cap, I believe there used to be a stamp of a positive sign, which means positive side of the coil. Okay. All right? If you've got hot to the coil, and if, if, if you have any doubts and you wanted to, you could run a hot lead right from the battery positive. Just tap into that feed. It'll feed hot wide. That's... I shouldn't tell you this story. That's how you hotwire the car. Um, <laughs> whoops. Oh. And, uh, there's nobody listening. Don't worry. Um, so, you know, you want to have hot there. After that, I, go ahead. I, I don't think that well, this uh, car has a coil. It does have a coil. The coil's in the distributor cap. Oh, okay. It, yeah, that's, okay, it's not what I'm thinking. When right. you say coil, I'm thinking of the old... The old coil that I had. Yeah, on, no, this uh, is this is the not, newer, better way until they came out with something else. So okay. the, the coil's built into the distributor cap, all right? Pretty powerful coil, okay. HEI coils, all right? And, yeah. and you know, that's something else. You could take the distributor cap off if you never have. And, and yes, look I to have. Okay, and, you know, any, how does the carbon brush look? Any signs of arcing? How does the inside of the cap look? All right. I don't think the problem's going to be there, not from, from your description for this kind of a problem. What I want you to focus on is there's, there's two components here that I'm concerned with. One's the ignition module, the electronic module, that black, you know, yep. it's, it looks like a big box of matches, about an inch and a half, two inches long maybe, and a quarter of an yep. inch wide, uh, height. Um, yep. They would fail. And there was no test for that. There were testers over the years where we could plug it into this whiz-bang you know, guest box, and it would tell you good, bad, or indifferent. But if that, if the transistor in that thing is overheating and failing, the Wundelmeyer trigger, I think it was called, and actually I think that's true, the Wundelmeyer trigger inside the HEI module, that's the, um, the, the Schmidt trigger was in the Ford mod. You think I'm kidding, Tony. I'm telling you, it's coming back to me. That's really what it was. It was a Schmidt trigger in Motocraft and a Wundelmeyer trigger in the Delco HEIs. And um, you can't really test it. The problem is you go buy an aftermarket ignition module, and now all the stuff is cheap junk made in China, and you may be putting a problem in the car. So if you plan on keeping this car, one of the things I would do is source eBay and look for some NOS, new old stock Delco modules. At least if you have to change it, you know it's good. All right? Okay. So it could be a module, or it could be the pickup coil. All right? You know what I mean when I say to you, John, the pickup coil puts out an AC voltage? It's an AC voltage generator? Uh, kind of, yeah. It's a, it has like a, to go from DC to AC. You need right. A, it's just, an, know, if we looked at it on a scope, it would be a, it would be a, a curved wave above and below the right. line. It's an AC right. voltage signal. And I've yep. seen it where when those pickup coils get hot, they actually will start to do exactly what you're describing. So maybe the solution is, can you find another distributor just to change it? All right? Does it change the characteristic of the car? Does it make the problem go away? Maybe that's the easiest way to diagnose this, and then you can work your way out from there. Call me back. Let me know what happens. I'm running Eating the Car Doctor. We're back right after this. to go, Ron and Ian, the car doctor. Yeah, I'm in here with Lucy, the wonder dog. What do you say, Lou? Okay, she's going to sleep. So, um, hardest, hardest working person in the studio next to me right now. So, Tom and Tony, you're doing nothing over there. Let's go over to, uh, where are we going? Uh, let's go over and talk to Steve in Vermont, 2004 Crown Vic, and some uh, questions about the fuel pump. Steve, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Hi, Ron. Yes, sir. Uh, a lot of great information on your show. That's why I listen to it. Thank you, sir. Um, 
I uh, I have this 2000 Crown Vic. It's got 78,000 miles on it. It's okay. not a former cop car or anything like that. It's a retired lawyer's car they bought from a uh, an estate. It had 23,000 on it, and it's been pretty much trouble free right up until the spring. And now I'm having a starting issue with it. Where uh, you turn on the key, you hear the fuel pump come on, the headlights come on, you go to crank it to start, and nothing happens. Or sometimes the door locks will pop up and down. Um, so I took it to a shop. They cleaned the body grounds uh, in the right kick panel, ran a computer analysis, and it says the only ABS code was in there uh, was battery voltage low. Cleared the codes, test drove, light did not come back on. Since then, uh, I've still had starting troubles with it, and, and, and it's a, uh, a digital dash, and everything will go out. You won't know how fast you're going, what the temperature is, how much fuel you cut. You won't know anything. Right. And uh, if anything at all is on, way in the left-hand corner of that, you'll have uh, traction off and uh, ABS, uh, an ABS warning. Um, but it, but it'll run. It, it, so far, it's continued to run. Now, we just made a trip up to the Champlain Islands uh, for a fishing trip. The fishing was great up there, by the way. On the way back, uh, and, and it did this up there while we were up there. Wouldn't start. Uh, and, and this time, I, I'm trying all kinds of stuff. So I'm wiggling the key, and the lights on the dash came on, and it started up. Uh, and, and anyway, we got home with it. On the way home, again, the digital dash went out, but it continued to run. We pulled the boat all the way up and back with it. Um, but uh, the starting thing and the digital dash thing is really driving me crazy. When it when it doesn't start, Steve, you know, let me explain it like this. You turn the key to the on position, not crank it. Just turn the key to the on position on a Ford product of this, of this era. You'll hear, you know, turn the key on, you'll hear bzzz you'll get a two to five second buzz out of the fuel pump, all right? And then it shuts off because it, it doesn't see a crank or an RPM signal out of, the, out, of the, out of the engine to the PCM. So, you know, when it goes into this no start, if you, and it doesn't happen every time, you've got to, you know, you, if it didn't start, you'd have to crank it, turn the key off. I tell everybody, count to 10, 12, 15, as, as high as your education took you, you know, see if you can get up that far and, um, you know, uh, then turn the key back on, you should hear a buzz. Uh-huh. If you don't hear a buzz, well, okay, the fuel pump's not turning on. If the fuel pump's not turning on, is it not turning on because there's a problem with the pump? Is the relay not being triggered? Is the relay not being triggered because the PCM relay's not being triggered? All right, because the way it works on a Ford is you turn the key on, it sends a command out to the PCM relay. PCM relay then wakes up the PCM, says, hey, get out of bed. I got something for you to do. It in turn also triggers the fuel pump relay. That's why you hear the, you hear the pump go, bzzz, and then the pump goes, okay, let me see if the PCM keeps me going. Let's see if it gets a crank signal and gives me the command. That's sort of the chain of command of how this happens. All right? right. If you're telling me you wiggled the, the, the key and the dash lights flickered, did I hear that right? I'm, you know, I'm getting pretty, I'm getting pretty desperate with this thing, uh, and uh, but did so, you, you know, I'm did trying you, everything. Did, I tried wiggling the shift lever, turning the steering wheel, pushing the key in harder, you know, to turn it. So uh, are, none are, of that seemed to work. So now I'm at the point where I'm like trying to wiggle the key while I'm turning it. Do you, do you have a well? But on. do you have a sense that wiggling the key is helping it to start or turning the dash lights on? I, I think it did that time. Okay. Here's uh, like what I, I, say, here's, I wasn't. Here's what I, I wasn't want doing you doing that right from the beginning. Here's what I want you to do. 
All right. What do you do? What do you What do you do for a living, Steve? Uh, I'm a retired truck driver. Okay. Um, you ever have to fix the lights in the truck in the back of the truck? You pull over for a ticket somewhere and out of town, and you had a you know, work on lights or something, right? You, you know, you, yeah. you so you, you, you get electrical is my point. Yeah. Um, an ignition switch has power in, has power out. All right. And yeah. just to baseline this, all right, you know, let's, let's start at the ignition switch. Go to your repair shop. Tell the guy to pull out a wiring diagram. He's going to see voltage okay. in, voltage out. I want you to tap into those two wires using, you can get out to an O'Reilly Auto Parts, any local auto parts house, and buy what we call side marker bulb sockets. They would, they would, they're just little bulb sockets that hold 194 bulbs, all right? And I want you to wire this into the ignition switch. Put one on the power side of the ignition switch, one on the output side of the ignition switch, all right? Okay. Put two different color bulbs. I would put a clear and an amber. All right? Okay. The next time that car doesn't start, first question I would ask you is, if we were at the shop, hey, Steve, which bulb was lit? If you say okay. the amber, and the amber was the input side to the ignition switch, then I'm, gonna, I'm done. I'm going to follow the circuit going that way. If you tell me the amber was lit but the white one wasn't, that tells me I've got a bad ignition switch. If you okay. tell me they're both lit, then I know the problem is not the ignition switch. What you're doing is just a fluke, and it's somewhere else up the line. It's a okay. starting point, and it's a simple one. Okay, I'll, I'll do that. All right, I'll, you, I'll check it out. Re remember, you're in Vermont. All right, I love right. Vermont. Great state. All right, home to Bob Newhart and the Stratford Inn. Yay! But you know, when 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 car manufacturers write those bulletins that start out with, if your vehicle was purchased in a Rust Belt state. It's usually a Rust Belt state and Vermont, like at the top of the list, like, you know. Uh, oh, yeah. So, so, oh, yeah. So, so, I know all about that. So grounds really become an issue there. Um, okay. And we, we, we want to make sure of, of, of body ground, chassis ground, ground cleanliness. You know, it's, it's a 2000. It's almost 20 years old. Quality of the right. wiring harness. All right? Yeah. Um, make sure. The other thing, tell your mechanic is... As silly as it sounds, by the battery, coming off the negative battery cable, there should be a ground pigtail that leads to chassis ground, if I remember this correctly. That is the main... Boy, let me tell you, you talk about the fragility of potato chips on, on the Atlantic Ocean in a paper sack, but that, that ground strap is the heart of the EEC-5 uh, uh, ground signal to the PCM. If that goes bad, you know, voltage drop doesn't go right, it's got a little bit of resistance... That car's going to be possessed. <laughs> oh yeah, okay. That that sounds like what's going on. This thing is, does act possessed. Yeah. So you, you know, you go to turn the key and the and the door locks are popping up and down. Right. And so let's like, you know, on? let's listen. I've seen them all, brother. Someday I'll tell you guys a story about the guy who had the engine put in his Lincoln. True story. He had his engine put in his Lincoln. It was an Eek Four car. It went through seven different shops. It showed up on my doorstep. And it took me a little while, but I got it. The car was getting terrible gas mods with a brand-new, fresh engine. When they put the engine together, and I guess I'm telling the story, when they put the engine together, they somehow managed to put the right oxygen sensor lead to the left wiring harness and the left oxygen sensor lead to the right wiring harness. So the computer is reacting to O2 signal, and it's working against itself, trying to make it do the opposite of what it really needed to do because the wiring inputs to the PCM were backwards. 
So, you know, I've seen it all. I've seen every possessed form until I see the next one, and then it's a whole other learning curve. So check that ground by the battery cable, by the negative side. Make sure it's absolutely positively 100%. And then I would also go through, and the next thing you could do is we could talk about PCM power and grounds at the PCM. Make sure they're good quality voltage signal and voltage drop the ground at the PCM. Make sure it's, you know, uh, less than a quarter volt or whatever spec is for that generation car um, that you're not in any issue there, too. All right, sir? Yes, sir. Okay, you take good care, Steve, and uh, have a good time up there in Vermont. Uh, you let me know what happens. 855-560-9900. Ron and Andy, the car doctor. We're coming back right after this. When the family car needs some fixing, there's only two things that really matter. Getting the right part and getting some good advice. It's a pretty safe bet that with over a million parts in stock, Pep Boys has the right part right now. The Pep Boys pros are extensively trained to find the right part for just about any car or truck. Better yet, these pros can also handle the entire installation or service needed. It's always good to have options and know the Pep Boys pros have it covered either way. What's more fun than listening to Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor and getting that car fixed right? 855-560-9900. Give Ron a call. Now, back to Ron. Welcome back. Here we go. Let's get over and talk to Joe in Maine, 06 Kia Sorento. Uh, Tranny issue. Joe, welcome to the Car Doctor, sir. What's going on? Hey, Ron. This is Joe. Uh, well, I went to a concert over in New Hampshire uh, last weekend. On the way back... It seemed I went to hit the fuel pedal, and it the overdrive didn't kick in. Okay. And I stopped at a local place and got big fluid for the uh, transmission, put a little fluid in, figuring the fluid was low. It uh, hasn't come out of it. And it seems to me when we go up hills, it's attacking around two, two grand. It's attacking about one. It's dropping down to about 500 grand. And... Mechanics seem to be on on uh, vacation, and I checked it. I pulled up the chip to transmission, and that was fine. And Look, it seems to be when it goes up a hill, it seems to shift like my '95 Ford Ranger, and this is an automatic. So, sorry, are you saying that it's? Let, 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 let's start from the basics, Joe. Um, you know, go to a, go to a stop sign, traffic light, and pull away slowly. Gradual acceleration. Does it go yep. through the gears? First, second, third, fourth. Does it? You know? Do you feel the car accelerate? Do you feel the shift points? Do you, does the tack rise and fall as the RPM rises and falls as the gear shifts changes? Will it go through the, the tack gears? Really doesn't. Uh, when you take off slowly, the really tack is not tack where it should be. It's weird. It's automatic, but it has a tack. And does the car feel like driver, it's, Does I, the car feel like it's it. low on power? It seems to be shifting a lot lower than it. But, but is it is it is it low on power? If you went to accelerate, does it feel like you know it's a little sluggish? On a dead stop, no, it has plenty of power. Okay, but yet you you don't see the trend, you don't see the RPM change when it when you think it's shifting gear. Right. I'm questioning. Um, also, I'm, yeah. you know how when you step on the accelerator and it accelerates fast. Right. This one won't. Well, that's what I'm asking. Yeah. If if but, if it's sluggish, like it has no power, like it has poor acceleration. Yeah. Does it feel like a ten-speed bike and you're stuck in the wrong gear trying to get uphill? Yeah. All right. Um. 
Actually, it seems to shift if you're slow, but when you went step on the fuel pedal hard, it just won't kick in. It, it's it, it won't accelerate the way it should be. Right, there's no kick down. It sounds right. like, and the clock's going to take me, Joe, so I got to be quick. It sounds like you're in limping. All right, that there's a fault in the trans, and and the trans is now reverting back to a fixed program of operation, so that you don't get stuck. All right. Any dash okay. any dashboard warning lights on? Nope. All right. Then, you know, before you drive this much longer, a mechanic's got to look at it. Somebody's got to scan this and determine just what exactly is going on because you, you could be making a smaller problem into a much bigger problem. All right. right. And, and that's... is kind of hard. Yeah. Um, you know, if they're on, they're on vacation last week... This week. Oh, this week coming, yeah. It's but yeah, that's last week. So I'm gonna call Monday and trying to get in to see if he can get in and take a look at it. Right. So but that's where I think you're going. It sounds to me like you are stuck in either second or third gear. It has limited range of operation and limited upshift downshift. And I'm oh. I'm, I'm 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 concerned that you're you're gonna hurt something if you continue to drive it. So um, I have it has those weird stick shifts that you can shove it over and do it manually. Right. I have gone through that manually, and that seems to be shifting through the gears properly. Right. It, it accelerates better when you do that, right? Yeah. Yeah, because you're you're manually overriding the trans. Okay, so it's pretty much the computer. Is well, it could be through. it could be the way the computer is commanding it. It could be something mechanical in the trans is preventing the computer from commanding it correctly. It could be a failed solenoid in the trans. It could be a problem with the overdrive power relay. I mean, there's there's a half a dozen things to be looked at, you know, versus the what ifs. So again, okay. we're, we're 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 back to it's got to get, you know, it's got to go to a mechanic, let him diagnose it. And, um, you know, then then consider your move carefully from there. i got to go, Joe. I'm up against the clock. Call me back next week with more information. 855-560-9900. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor will return right after this. Welcome back. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor, uh, podcasting at cardoctorshow.com. Uh, the real fact, sure trick fix of the week this week from the folks over at Mitchell is about a shaking shifter. And it starts out by saying nobody likes annoying vibrations in their car and they can be hard to diagnose. This real fix shows a transmission vibration was diagnosed and repaired in this Cadillac DeVille. It was a 2002 Cadillac DeVille. The transmission vibrated. And the way they went about this was they confirmed the complaint. You always got to confirm complaints when you're dealing with any sort of diagnostic routine in a car or anything, even life, right? Performed the visual inspection of the trans fluid. It was clean at proper level. They used a scan tool. They looked at live data by accelerating the highway speeds and maintaining vehicle speed. They disengaged the torque converter and observed the torque converter clutch parameter. Listen to the technicality here. Found the torque converter clutch slip was erratic. They ended up disconnecting the trans. They looked at the torque converter itself, saw that it was blued and overheated, determined that the converter itself was bad, put it together, cleared the codes, changed the fluid, and all was fixed, all from the folks at Mitchell. This is on their website. Uh, more information at Mitchell1.com. You know, we, we talk about technology and the simple things and how sometimes it's the simplest things help you the most. 
and Snap-on. Uh, you know, Snap-on is the parent company of Mitchell, actually, I believe, and they work hand-in-hand to bring some great product to market. I purchased a set of what Snap-on calls flank drive extra sockets this week. And you look at it, and it looks like a standard socket. You know, it's traditional 8 through 19 millimeter, I think, shallow and deep. And you look at it, and you go, yeah, it's just a 10 millimeter socket, or it's just a 13 millimeter socket. But the what they do is they actually take the walls of the socket, and they make it like a wedge, so that it tapers in the further in the bolt goes, and it's made to a more precise standard, as I understand it, so it'll grip the head of a rounded-out bolt. I had a late-model Cadillac DeVille I had to put wheel bearings in, and GM only gives you a short-height bolt uh, on threads. So a traditional socket is a little sloppy. It'll just spin right off and strip out. That's what was happening to me. I reached for my flank drive extras, put it on, Got the bolt out, got the bolt back in. When I put the wheel bearing in, the nice thing was I didn't have to use a turbo socket, beat up the head of the bolt, and it saved me a lot of time and money and aggravation not having to go hunting and digging something out. So sometimes technology, as simple as socket design, it really helps. And thanks to the folks over at Snap-on as well. I'm Ron Anini in the car, Doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. 